Hello and welcome to another episode of interest.co.nz's Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan. Today we're talking about the national obsession known as the housing market. To do this, I'm joined by someone who lives and breathes housing, especially here in Auckland. That's John Bolton, the founder and executive director of mortgage broker Squirrel Mortgages. Hi John and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. Um, look, it's certainly uh, interesting times in the housing market, shall I say, at the moment. What's your summation of, of what is going on out there? Well, the world's coming to an end, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, it's, it's, it, it's pretty bumpy out there, but look, I, I don't know that it's entirely unexpected, right? I mean, I think people have been talking about this kind of everything bubble, you know, looking vulnerable now for years. Cripes, I started talking about it. About five years ago, I moved all my KiwiSaver funds over to Conservative about two years ago. That didn't work out too well for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, uh, I, I think the thing that I find so fascinating is that there's there's such a strong correlation between interest rates and house prices, right? Well, between interest rates and any asset. And, um, you know, so, you know, we had incredibly low interest rates last year. Um, you know, arguably maybe too low for too long. Um, and uh, and Kiwi's not going abroad, and, and I think we've, you know, I mean, everyone's gone over this a number of times now, and, and, and house prices went a bit ballistic. You know, it wasn't expected. You know, everyone thought COVID was the end and that the bubble would finally burst, but we sort of got a final run on it. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, this year we've had a, you know, a pretty dramatic and fast rise in mortgage rates. You know, and... The thing is way faster than the OCR, right? So this is the thing in terms of this tightening, you know, because we talk about the OCR being neutral at 2%, but we are not neutral. We are way past neutral at the moment because, of course, the Reserve Banks sort of talked it up so hard that, you know, mortgage rates are already pricing in, you know, pretty much every OCR increase. So we've tightened incredibly fast. So it's, it's not surprising, right, that that's flowed through to the housing market. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. And I, I mean, most economists are sort of picking what somewhere between 10 and 15% reduction in house prices. Again, um, shouldn't surprise us. So that's what we're seeing already. I mean, um, as much as the media talks about house prices being down maybe 4 or 5%, the reality of what we're seeing on the ground is that house prices are down 10 to 15 um, in certain parts of the market. Parts of the market are still holding up quite well. Um, particularly where there's still a supply-demand imbalance. Um, but, you know, quite a bit now, you know, prices are definitely down 10 to 15, off where they would have been at peak. But the thing with peak is that peak really never came through in the market, right? So if I was to use an example, I've, I've got a property at the moment uh, in Castor Bay that I think at peak last year I would have got 2.1 for it. And, um, but I couldn't sell it. Um, because I was inside the 10-year, I hadn't owned it for 10 the years at that point. Test, yep. Yeah, yeah, because I'd done a bit of development years ago. Yep. I, I, I pretty much have to hold things for at least 10 years. And uh, so I couldn't sell it last year. Um, I can sell it this year. Oh, I always get the timing wrong, eh? <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we would have got 2.1 for it last year. Um, I, I, I thought I was realistic, you know, um, maybe 1.8. I uh, went and got a registered valuation done the other day. It came in at 1.8. I'm happy with that. You know, that would be 300k lower than what I would have got last year. Um, but, you know, shit, I think um, we got offered 1.6 for it. Should have taken it. Didn't. 
and uh, subsequently haven't really had any offers on it. So, um, you know, we've taken it off the market. There's, and I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, we kind of forget is that New Zealand's got very low unemployment rate. Um, and um, typically what Kiwis do is, you know, if, they, if, they've t if they're not comfortable with the price that they're getting offered, they take it off the market. Um, might be a little bit different in the short term because, you know, we, it looks like we've got excess rental stock. Um, we've had tax changes, all sorts of other things going through that maybe will put a bit more pressure on people to sell and, and that, that might help drive prices a bit lower. Um, but, yeah, look, I could just talk for hours. I probably need to let you ask some questions. Sure. Look, uh, one issue I'm really interested in asking you about is um, – just how disruptive it is when there are big movements in the market. And what interests me on this is whether they're rising, whether prices are rising or falling. Because if you look at, you know, you've talked about 2020, 2021. Yeah. If we look at the REINZ figures, so they had um, the Auckland um, median, sorry, I've just got my, just looking at my notes here. Yeah, so, you know, the, the national median um, price was up, by 19% in 2020, according to RENZ, and 21.5% in 2021. Those are huge, right? Yeah, so yeah, that's totally. like basically, you know, 40% in two years. Mm. And now we're down, you know, nationally, again, RENZ has us down 9%, Auckland 14 since November, but, you know, yeah, you can, you know, take what you will from that. I mean, how disruptive is it when prices are just going mad, either up or down? And, and is, is, it, is it worse one way? Um, well, one of the things I think is really interesting is what was driving the prices probably last year. And I think, you know, look, Kiwis, this way houses sell, right? Especially when you've got a supply-demand imbalance. Um, Kiwis, Kiwis spend between 40 and 45% of their income on housing. And that's not a new thing. It's always been that way. You go, you go back as far as you can get data and... Um, we literally spend about 40 to 45% of our income on housing. And um, so what happens is you get into an auction environment and you bid yourself up to your maximum affordability. And, and typically that's about 40, 45. It, it can get over 50. I think there's been a couple of points probably in the last decade or so where it's, it's maybe crept up to 55-ish. Um, but, you know, that's, that's kind of your rule of thumb. Um, and, and, and look, the other thing that's really interesting is that household incomes have been going up about 4.5% per year for the last 10 years. And so house prices should naturally go up gradually, right? You know, you would expect house prices to go up, uh, you know, probably around the same sort of level as ha um, household incomes increase. Um, clearly that doesn't happen. Clearly we've had house prices have gone way ahead of that. But of course, the other thing is we've had 30 years of declining interest rates. You know, New Zealand had some of the highest real interest rates in the world. We've, 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 we don't talk about this stuff, but you know, I, I remember back when I was in the bank 20 years ago, you know, the criticism back then was that New Zealand um, interest rates, you know, it was anti-competitive, the banks are making too much money, you know, real interest rates are just really high, we had low inflation. Um, and it was almost ridiculous when you compared us to the rest of the world. Well, guess what? The gap closed. Um, but you lower interest rates and you, and you lower those real interest rates and, um, and that gets reflected in your asset prices, right? House prices went up. Affordability improved and people bid that into the housing market. And if you're not building houses fast enough, um, prices go up. Just wondering, obviously, 
we are in the middle of a downturn at the moment. Is this just another downturn or is there a bit more <laughs> going on this time? And uh, the reason I ask that question really is because you, you might have seen the new Reserve Bank Chief Economist, Paul Conway, made a speech just yesterday mm. in which he suggested that um, the tide may have turned against housing being a one-way bet for a generation of Kiwis. And he cited... Uh, you know, demand changes with immigration obviously being lower, uh, tax changes, you've, you've mentioned the bright line test, the removal of interest deductibility, yep. loosening up of some urban, urban planning rules, Commerce Commission doing a market study on residential building supplies, more houses being built now than we've had before. Um, so if you look, if you add all that up, you do sort of think, yeah, well, maybe things are different this time, but, but are they mm. really going to be? Well, I talked to Bob Jones about that, you know. I mean, um, I, I, I think we, 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 we seem to go through these cycles of, you know, talking up and down property, whether it's uh, commercial or, or residential. Um, yeah, look, there, there, there's some truth to it, right? I mean, we've been in a 30-year declining rate environment. And I, I, I just get back to the real simple stuff, which is, um, you know, house prices are a function of affordability, which is a function of interest rates. Um, you know, are we going to see interest rates back at 2%? Probably no time soon, right? Uh, interest rates are on their, their way up. I personally think they're starting to peak. You know, um, I don't think they'll go much higher. I think, you know, we are going to go into a recession. And, uh, and I think even in the last week or so, you've started to see the swap market come off a little bit. And, and you'd expect to see that, right? Um, you sort of start to get a little bit of a tilt in that yield curve. Um, and... Um, yeah, I think the economy is going to come off quite hard and fast, and um, and you're going to sort of see those swap, those longer term swap rates come back a bit. Um, and so I, I really do think that um, you know swap rates are starting to to peak. There'll be people with a different view on that. Um, I mean, obviously, what happens overseas will have some influence on it. Um, but you know, interest rates will stabilise, um, house prices will fall ten to fifteen percent. But you know. House prices fall 10 to 15%, right? Um, the S&P's down over 20% this year. NASDAQ's down 30. Crypto's down 60. Um, the everything bubble's popping. Um, you know, prop property's uh, probably done comparatively well. Where else do you put your money? I mean, you know, I thought putting my money into conservative funds was going was gonna to look after me, and my, my fund's down about 11%. <laughs> Yes, yes. You talked there about mortgage rates. That was a key point I wanted to pick up on. We, we talk, we've been talking in our office this week a bit about mortgage shock. Um, obviously, most New Zealanders will borrow for a relatively short fixed term compared to overseas. Yep. You know, one year, two years. Two yeah, years totally. tends to be the most popular one. If we look at two-year rates, so we track bank averages, and in the middle of last year, they bottomed out around 2.5% for two years. Yep. Now the bank average is about 5.4%. So obviously if you're coming off those much lower rates and refixing now, that's a huge, huge change, big increase in your, your repayments. How are people coping with this if they indeed are coping? We're not. Uh, look, we're not seeing a lot of distress. I think we're starting to see a little bit. Um, but, but the distress that we're seeing is probably people that just need to adjust their living expenses. Um, I, you know, like... I, every generation goes through this. I, I, I went through it. Like I, you know, I remember back when um, we first purchased our house. I don't know how the hell we afforded it, and it was way cheaper than they are now. 
But equally, our incomes were a lot lower, right? Um, and, you know, I, I remember one night, you know, we couldn't afford to even go and get um, McDonald's. And, you know, we were scraping coins out of the ashtray to, to kind of feed the kids. I mean, arguably, McDonald's isn't really what you should be feeding them. But, um, but, but you know, like, I mean, everyone has that moment, right? I mean, we, we had years, especially when I started the business, where, you know, we just we had no money. And um, we had to change the way that we lived. But we accommodated it, right? We did it. And um, I think the biggest risk at the moment with the increase in interest rates is how fast it slows the economy down. So, yes, you can, you can start to focus on the individual borrower. But, look, the reality is that the banks have been testing and servicing at quite high rates for quite some time. There's an entire, a very substantial part of our population that can't even get into the housing market. Um, those that can generally have you know, much higher incomes. And guess what? The other thing is those on higher incomes are actually doing pretty well with wage inflation at the moment. You know, um, look at the IT sector. Like, um, wage inflation in the IT sector has been, you know, massive. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of feel, I mean, the, the thing that I find with the higher mortgage rates is it's going to translate through into the real economy really fast because about 60 to 70% of the housing market is fixed on terms of less than a year, right? Um, so you're going to get a really rapid... Um, reduction in discretionary income. When you reduce discretionary income, you're taking it out of hospitality, um, takeaways, retail, domestic tourism. You know, so we're talking about a whole lot of industries that have been through two years of pain already, that are now um, losing their customer base really, really fast. You know, um, people just aren't going to be eating out as much. They're not going to be taking those domestic holidays. So as much as the government's trying to prep Kiwis to go and spend money around the country, I think there's an increasing part of the population that are going, shit, I've got to bunker down for a while. Stay home and eat baked beans. Yeah. 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 Grow some vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how are banks behaving at the moment? I mean, you, met, you mentioned the serviceability rates. We've been seeing those rising. Yeah. Are, they, are, they, are there any discounts below the accounted or advertised mortgage rates being offered at the moment? Are they no, matching not, rivals' rates? No, not really. I, I mean, the, the only thing that's really working for borrowers at the moment are these cashbacks. You know, so, um, you know, banks, I think what banks have learned is that they don't really want to compete on rates. They prefer to use cashbacks as their mechanism to compete. Um, and look, the cashbacks are good, but of course what happens is, uh, you know, you kind of get a cashback and then you kind of get into default behaviour and don't look at your mortgage again for another decade, right? Um, so, um, I, I mean, mortgage rates are competitive. Um, look, they're pretty competitive at the moment. It's, it's really interesting the way that um, interest rates work. Um, what typically happens in a rising rate environment is that banks get pretty significant contraction on their lending margins, and they have. If you looked at the gap between swap rates and carded rate uh, mortgage rates for banks, they've contracted a lot in the last six months. So what typically happens is as rates go up, um, you know, um, mortgage rates lag that, and and banks get serious margin contraction occurring. Um, competitive pressure means that they don't, they can't expand the margins fast enough, and they and they feel that, and so there's very little discounting below carded rates. 
Um, on the other side of it, though, of course, um, deposits, um, you know, banks are creaming it. You know, their margins expand and they don't have to pass it on to investors nearly as fast. So the banks are kind of weird. They, they, they kind of manage their way through the cycle. And in this part of the cycle, they get uh, margin contraction on their lending book, margin expansion on their deposits. Margin expansion on their deposits is a good thing. Um, if you think of, the easiest way to think about it is banks hold a huge amount of deposits in non-interest-bearing accounts and in savings accounts that are earning maybe 0.1 of a percent. So you know this increase in uh, wholesale interest rates is a is a, is a real gift uh, in terms of giving them some back some margin on their deposits. You talk about the cashbacks. What sort of strings are being attached to those by the banks at the moment? Firstborn, oh. hand over your firstborn child. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, uh, lending's like that now anyway, right? Um, but, um, yeah, if you can get a loan, um, you, 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 normally they, they have a clawback period of three or four years. So um, as long as you don't refinance within three to four years, you get to keep the cash back. If you were to refinance in three to four years, then they'll take a percentage of it back. Um, and, and so what they're effectively doing is they're really giving you upfront an interest rate discount uh, and then they're amortising over a period of three or four years and, and, and that works out for them and I guess it works out for the borrower, right? And, and, and certainly what we see is that you know, borrowers do like getting cashbacks. You work with some of the non-banks. Are there opportunities for growth for them in a market like this? Uh, huge. Um, yeah, look... Uh, New Zealand's a really interesting market because it's so dominated by the four majors and, and maybe five if you include Kiwi Bank. Um, I forget what the stats are, but they must be up around 93, 94%, um, including Kiwi Bank. Um, I, and look, the, the other thing that I would say is our Reserve Bank is, I really rate our Reserve Bank. It's probably going to set off your comment section straight away. Um, I really do like the guys. Um, I think I, I actually think they do a pretty good job um, if you if you look at them on the global stage. I know we beat them up, and you know they didn't increase rates fast enough, and maybe they didn't pull back on the money printing fast enough. But I I, I think they do a pretty good job, and I think they're pretty in touch with with what's what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I just got myself distracted. What were we <laughs> were we talking about? We're looking at the non-banks. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry, non-banks, non-bank sector. Yeah, look, um, the, 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 what I was going to say is that the, the, the one thing I'd say about the Reserve Bank is that we've got the, 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 the banker's handbook. It's quite prescriptive, and I think um, the, the only problem I have with it is that the credit policy across our banks is very homogenous, almost identical. They almost have identical credit policy. And, you know, it's like kind of having one variety of kiwifruit or one, one strain of this or that. You know, when you've got no diversity in the system, it's a little bit dangerous. And that's why things like triple CFA late last year were particularly dangerous because when you're overly prescriptive around the rules, you're just not allowing for diversity. And what we sort of started to see was a whole lot of unintended consequences. And I think it's been a real problem in New Zealand. You know, we, we're quite critical about our banks not lending to business, to small business, not doing cash flow lending. You know, we only lend on houses and stuff. To be honest, there's a lot of business lending goes through the housing market. A lot of our business lending to the SME market is dressed up as residential housing, right? Um, and we just don't have the diversity. So I think having a stronger non-bank sector 
is really important for the economy, um, for that diversity, and to allow entrepreneurs to start up businesses and borrow on the house to do it. Um, you know, to handle all of those situations that a homogenous set of banks just can't get to. And, and don't need to get to because they're so big, they don't really care about competing on the fringes. You mentioned the Triple CFA or the, the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act. Now, you're obviously quite vocal late last year, early this year about the changes that were coming through there. How's that all panning out now? I mean, there have been some changes, subsequent changes made again, and especially in terms of the way lenders are assessing borrowers' discretionary spending. That seemed to be the one of the big concerns How's it, how's it playing out at the moment? Yeah, it's, look, it's a bit better. I think some of it was um, just bedding down teething issues. Um, we do have um, you know, pretty conservative banks here um, for good reason, because if they're not, they get beaten up. Um, the, um, so I think a little bit of it was teething, but you know, it was poorly constructed regulations. Uh, I, I think the feedback through the process that the banks gave was ignored. Um, and if they'd been listened to, I think everyone kind of assumes that banks are always inherently biased um, because, you know, they just make lots of money and, and so no one really, you know, it's all self-interest, right? They're just looking after themselves. And I, I think that's a bit harsh. Um, in fact, I think it's very harsh. I, I, I think there was, you know, they've been pretty genuine in terms of their concerns and that started to play out. Um, the, look, the thing about New Zealand to a lesser extent in Australia, but certainly in New Zealand, is that you know, our residential housing market is worth you know, $1.5 trillion. We've got $350 billion of outstanding mortgages. Now, we can debate whether it's worth $1.5 trillion or it's just a big overinflated asset bubble, right? But, okay, it's not worth $1.5, it's worth $1.2. It's still $1.2 trillion. 55%, um, I think roughly 55% of New Zealand's entire net wealth is, is held in residential property. Um, so, you know, you've got to give people access to it. And, and we were just seeing too many situations of people that are asset rich, cash poor, where triple CFA was just pushing them into these ridiculous corners um, and they couldn't do anything. And it, it's just bizarre. We've, we've just got this weird attitude about property where, um, you know, we, we don't treat it like an asset. From a from a lending perspective, you know, I mean, well, we'll lend against it, but um, you know, everything's on affordability and servicing. That's fine. Look, you know, for a first home buyer, that's a completely appropriate way of of, of dealing with things. But when you've got um, business owners and entrepreneurs trying to pull capital out to do other things, um, and then it suddenly starts to get hard, or you've got retirees who you know um, are trying to pull capital out of their investment portfolio. It just happens to be property. We were just wrapping that up in molasses, and, and that's dangerous, right? I mean, the biggest issue with property is a liquidity crisis, which is it's, it, it's a hard asset to liquidate, and I guess people are probably learning that at the moment uh, at, at certain times of the cycle. But the other side of it is that credit policy and regulations can also really heavily influence that, and that's what we were seeing. In a market like the one we're in at the moment, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are in terms of is it better or worse for different types of buyers or sellers? I mean, for example, if I'm a wannabe first home buyer, you know, what's this market like for me? If I'm looking to upsize or downsize or, <coughs> you know, a recent buyer um, in the current market, someone who's held for years, 
And then I guess someone who's wanting to just sell out of property altogether. I mean, yeah. it, it, the, the, this type of market would vary in terms of the experience for those types of people, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah oh, 100%. Um, look, I, 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 there was that headline the other day, um, I forget uh, who the economists were that, that produced it, but it said 2022 is the worst year to buy. <laughs> it's so wrong. <laughs> last year was the worst year to buy. Um, you know, like last year, you know, in hindsight, and everyone will say, oh, but we knew it was going to happen. I mean, look, there was always going to be a peak. The peak was last year. Last year was the worst time to buy, right? Yeah, sure, interest rates were low, but house prices were at peak. That's, that's the worst time to buy. 2022 interest rates are up. Uh, which means that at least you've got a much more realistic assessment of what you're, what you're walking into, right? And house prices are down. Um, and if we accept that house, house prices are down maybe 10 to 15% in absolute terms, and then you've got inflation running at about 7%, which means in real terms they're going to be down over 20, I don't know, that's starting to feel like quite a good time to buy. Now, of course, that's going to set everyone off now. But... Um, there's a couple of things in here, right? So the first thing is that um, I, 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 I'm quite dismissive of this real house prices. Real house prices are falling. That's a good thing. You know, that's a, uh, and, f and f for a borrower, inflation's your friend. Apart from higher interest rates, you know, inflation's just a curse for investors. You know, hence my conservative bond portfolios got absolutely smashed this year um, because... You know, my coupon doesn't change and and the face value of my bonds has just been munted, right? But um, housing's slightly different, right? Because it, it is a, to a degree, it is a inflation-protected investment. Now, it's not at the moment and, that, and prices are dropping in absolute terms, but household incomes are going up. Now, I don't know what the numbers are going to be like this year, but um, I would imagine, and you've got to remember that the household income increases for... Um, property owners is different to the broader population. You know, when we do generalizations, we really miss the nuances of the market because we've got a massive part of our, our population that are low income or work for the government, and it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, the government's not a great employer, and, um, you know, it pays well below the private sector. I mean, it's one of the things as mortgage brokers that we get to see all the time is, you know, we, we get to see everyone's incomes. And, um, you know, sometimes, I, I, often, I'm, I, just, I just feel for anyone that works for the government, really, because they're not a great employer. Um, except for, unless you're the CEO or of some government department, you know, um, you know doctors, uh, well, nurses and, and, and school teachers and the police... You know, they, they, they struggle for um, salary increases, yet you've got sectors like ICT where, you know, immigration's basically stopped anyone coming in from the country. Everyone's stealing each other's uh, IT developers and, and, you know, the wage inflation running through that sector at the moment is insane. Um, so, you know, inflation, um, so household incomes are increasing. I mean, I said to you before, over the last 10 years, it's been averaging about 4.5% per year. I mean, God knows what it's going to be like at the moment for 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 some of these you know parts of the population. But I'm I'm guessing we could be up around six or seven percent, um, and uh, you know so so incomes are increasing. So if you take a long run view of housing, if it, if it, 
if incomes are increasing, then affordability will gradually come back. It will improve, uh, and that will stabilise house prices, right? So in a way, for housing, inflation is our friend. It kind of helps us gradually get back to affordability without necessarily seeing massive drops in absolute house prices. Um, and then you sort of go through the market. I, look, I think that the, the big thing for me is there's two things that play out there. The first is that we don't have a big unemployment rate. When we get unemployment, um, chances are it tends to come into, into parts of the economy that aren't big participants in the housing market anyway, right? So, you know, arguably at the moment, maybe hospitality, retail, tourism. They're actually low-income parts of our economy where... I think because of the affordability or the lack of affordability for housing, there's not great participation rates there. You're um, talking about ownership. I mean, ownership, yeah. yeah. And so then you know, most of those people would be renters. Exactly. And then, and then what we found, even during the GFC, right? And this is one of the things that, you know, I think we were expecting to see much higher unemployment than we did. And um, businesses just don't want to lose their staff because we know how hard it is to recruit good people. You know, so we tended to do things like, you know, drop people to 80%. Or even during COVID, right, people were dropping their staff to 80% as opposed to get rid of staff because we all know that it's an economic cycle and when it goes the other way, it's so hard to get good people here um, that everyone just sort of tries to hold on. And so I think those things act as natural stabilizers in our economy. Um, unemployment's really low. Um, amongst homeowners, you're going to see, I think, pretty decent increases in the household incomes because immigration's so low at the moment. We can't get people into country and we've got a real skill shortage here. It's killing business. I mean, business is facing substantial wage inflation, higher costs at the same time as we're ripping out everyone's discretionary income. So, you know, you're getting – it's a bit of a cluster, right? And I think yeah. – um, I saw, I saw uh, Sharon in the paper a couple of days ago is talking about it. I mean, this is a tough time for business. So against that backdrop, and obviously official cash rate at 2% now, we're expecting that to go higher, potentially to double. Um, inflation, consumer price index inflation running at around 7%. Um, talk of a recession. <laughs> talk, talk, talk internationally of stagflation potentially war in the Ukraine, all these things going on. Low immigration, probably for some time yet. What's your best bet in terms of where things go for the, the New Zealand housing market, I guess, through this year <laughs> and, and into next year? Uh, look, I, well, okay, so the OCR is going to go up, but it's already fully priced into mortgage rates. So I think mortgage rates are going to start to stabilise quite quickly. You know, I think... Um, Everyone's kind of got, you know, we, we get this kind of panic that runs through our market and everyone's like, like everyone's like, oh, rates could get to 8 or 9%. And there'll be people out there that are still feeling that, right? Oh, they get to 8 or 9%. Everyone's like, oh, can't afford that. Clearly no one could afford that. <laughs> um, so I think that panic will start to dissipate when people sort of start to see that interest rates are stabilising. They're not nearly moving as quickly as they have been. Um, and people just settle into the fact that, okay, I've got to, I've got to plan a future that says that mortgage rates are going to be sort of hovering around five to six percent. That's not the end of the world for most people, and most people can adjust to that. So they'll, that will just gradually work its way through, and people will get used to it. Um, 
falling house prices, well, I mean, look, the media is going to be reporting that for at least another six to 12 months, right? Um, as I said, I think most of the absolute change is already there in the market. It's going to take a while to work its way through in the statistics. So you're going to see, I love the way everyone does these year-on-year -year house price things. Year-on-year -year house prices are still up. <laughs> so, um, I mean, look, yeah, they're down 10, 10 to 15. Um, in absolute terms, that would be my sense for it. I don't see them going much further. I think I think it, it will sort of stabilise that around that level. I think there will be vendors that will just take their properties off the market. Um, and um, there's not a lot of supply out there. I think there's been, there's a lot of talk about a whole lot of new build activity. I, I'm worried about the construction sector. Um, you know, our sector is so boom bust and, and this cycle is going to be no different. Um, we talk about, oh, this massive increase in supply. It's not coming. I mean, we honestly, developers can't get anything out of the ground at the moment. Um, if, we, if we talk about that for a second, there's some really interesting dynamics here, right? So... I think the first thing is what drove house prices up over the last two years. And I, I, I don't think that one of the problems in New Zealand is that we don't really get into the detail of anything. We always once over lightly. Um, what's happened is that if you go back to the GFC, um, we had a lot of um, old school kind of big developers. Um, most people knew who they were you know, because they'd be driving around in their flash cars and having expensive parties and they'd be in the social pages of the paper with their next wife. Um, but, um, you know, um, a lot of those guys went bust. We obviously had the finance companies all go under because they were doing big developments, you know, <laughs> some of them in Fiji and stuff. But, um, but they were doing apartments. And the problem with apartments and high-density stuff and really big projects is the time it takes them to get through a project, right? You know, the... They're planning and building these things over three to five years, depending on how big it is. And um, and they all got burnt because the market shifted on them so fast. And then all the finance companies went under, which was where they were getting the easy money from. And suddenly that all became too difficult. What's, what, what happened sort of probably around 2016, 2017 is that Obviously, single houses became too expensive for first-home buyers. They couldn't get into that part of the market anymore. No one in New Zealand really wants to go into apartments except for property investors getting sold off plan by these kind of property spruikiers that were charging around selling stuff to everyone. Um, but but first-home buyers were sort of starting to resonate towards townhouses. The great thing with townhouses is that just about Every man and his dog could become a property developer. All you had to do was buy a thousand square meter plot of land, go see some architect. They would have some cookie cutter plan. Oh, you can put eight townhouses on that and make a million bucks profit. And everyone's like, wow, this is cool. And um, we saw so many people become first-time property developers probably in the last two or three years. Um, everyone was buying 800 to 1,000 square meter lots and chucking eight townhouses on it. And then um, some were starting to squeeze 10 on them and uh, even more. And um, that's, I guess that's the next stage of, of New Zealand's kind of um, housing market expansion, right? The problem that we started to see, particularly with really low interest rates and newbie developers, is um, this, this, this notion of highest and best use, right, which sort of defines what happens with land values. And so everyone was going in based on these record townhouse prices that you know um, people were getting and just bidding up the value of land. And so 
where we're seeing around Auckland, um, you know, what we're pretty average plots of land starting to go, you know, and, and sort of the city fringe um, going for, you know, 1.3, 1.5 million. And seasoned developers were sort of sitting there scratching their head going, this is just going too far. Um, and all these new guys were just charging in, paying really high prices. Um, and it, it, look, it's not just an Auckland phenomenon. Wellington uh, is probably even more pronounced down there um, because there's so much less land to build on. Um, Upper Hutt, prices went absolutely ballistic in Upper Hutt. Is you know, all these um, newbie developers just rushed in to do townhouse developments, and um, and that's why I think you're going to see in certain parts of the market you're going to see some probably pretty significant absolute price falls. And what I think the unwind that you're seeing there is the developers not in market. Like there's just no one in the market right now. Um, trying to buy land for development, right? And so, you know, that's where the price pressure was coming from. And so with none of those guys participating in the market, that's what's going to dial those prices back. So, you know, anyone that was sitting on 800 to 1,000 square metres thinking that they were going to, you know, they're going to walk away with a tonne of money, I think, you know, they're going to be pretty disappointed in this market because those buyers aren't there anymore. Um, but when you get to sort of, uh, you know, I guess that sort of first-home buyer market, you know, how... How far can prices fall? They can probably come back maybe 10%. And I think we're seeing that with off-plan development. You know, I think prices are back probably about 10% from where they were last year. And that feels about right. Um, that translates through to about a 30 to 40% reduction in land values. Um, and um, at the moment, most developers that we're seeing are having to build on pretty thin margins because they've had cost increases, they're having to pull prices back. So they're really just trying to get through their current projects, survive it, get into the next project. Um, but what you'll see is that that's going to pull those prices back to a point that it's economic to build again. I reckon that's going to take a couple of years to work through. So I think you're going to see what we've seen in previous cycles, which is a lot of these consents are never going to get built. I think... Um, uh, you know, like as much as we've been consenting a ton, I can promise you there's a whole lot of new build stuff that's getting developed at the moment that they started building at the start of last year and just had massive council delays. Um, but, you know, all of the stuff that's consented that's not going to get out of the ground, I, I kind of see that by the middle of next year, I don't think there's going to be a lot of stock coming into the market at all. Look, John, we could go on and on, I think, but uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we probably should leave it there. I really appreciate your time. That's John Bolton, the founder and executive director of mortgage broker Squirrel Mortgages, and I'm Gareth Vaughan of interest.co.nz with another episode of our Of Interest podcast.